Welcome to Ask the Therapist, a monthly podcast for everyone who's interested in how our minds work, building resilience through journaling and all things therapy. I'm your host, Sarah Rees, a mental health nurse and CBT therapist with over 20 years of experience in the field of mental health. Hello and welcome to episode 56 of Ask the Therapist. It's lovely to have you here. I'm Sarah Rees, Cognitive Behavioural Therapist, and today I'm interviewing Kirsty Betts, another Cognitive Behavioural Therapist, who has just joined me here working in Wilmslow, and I also have the pleasure of supervising Kirsty. Um, we've been working together over the last year, and she's really kind of broadening out her private practice at the moment. So she's available here on Thursdays. And aside from that, she works for 42nd Street, which is a fantastic organisation based in Manchester, who work with young people and adolescents. So Kirsty today is going to talk about mental health in young people and adolescents and provide lots of practical advice and tips and links to where you can get more information because young people are becoming more aware of the mental health, wanting more support and services are really struggling at the moment. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Recently on social media, I have put out Submit Your Questions to Ask Therapist and I've had a lovely question. So I'm just going to spend a few minutes um, answering that. So it says, hello, Sarah, happy new year. Um, is there such a thing as nostalgia depression? I find myself thinking about days gone by when I was younger and carefree and it makes me feel rather sad rather than seeing it as happy memories. I've always been like this. But for some reason, I feel it more now at my age. This lady's in her 50s. Do you have any thoughts or advice I could share on my podcast? Well, nostalgia, depression, there isn't a subtype of depression called nostalgia depression. But nostalgia is looking back wistfully. Sometimes we can do that with rose-tinted glasses. But my sense would be if somebody's looking back and feeling sad rather than happy, that there's something that they're not getting from their life at the moment. And in the question, it says that she thinks back to days when she was really feeling carefree. So maybe that's what she needs more in her life of now, to have the ability to feel more carefree in her life today. And it could be a sign that there is low mood present. So with low mood, we once we're aware of it, we it's like a little bit like wearing dark glasses. You see your future negatively, everything around you a bit negatively. So everything's tinged with the lens of depression. And then that can make us look back and long for a different time in our life. So I think the work to be done is in the here and now. There's something I share on my website. I share it on my email list, which you can subscribe to. Go to my website. You can just sign up for my email list and you'll get a weekly email that goes through lots of mental health tips and advice. And sometimes I share something called the, the mood builder. But if you wanted to email me, I'm happy to send that out to you. And that looks at when we're feeling low in mood, there's lots of research around that if we do certain activities, kind of like antidepressant activities, they lift our mood. And the areas that you need to focus on are doing things every day that give you a sense of enjoyment, 
things that give you a sense of achievement and maybe things that you're putting off that are weighing on you a little bit. So we need to schedule these things in. So you need to have regular hits of antidepressant things that you're doing every single day. And just like medication, over time, you'll be working on that serotonin and improving your mood. And we know this works from the research. That's why when people come for cognitive behavioural therapy, for depression, the first thing we do is look at what their people are doing in our lives and trying to boost antidepressant activities up. So I hope you found that helpful. And now I'll lead you onto the episode. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Kirsty. It's lovely to have you here. Really excited to go through this. I think it's a really hot topic at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks ever so much for having me. I really appreciate the invite. It's lovely to have a chat and sort of share my stuff with you. I'm always really fascinated about why therapists become therapists and work in their particular field. You work with young people and adolescents. How did you come to be a therapist? What drove you or motivated you to do that and then work with young people and adolescents? So I think um, for some people, some therapists, they sort of start out being therapists, not knowing where they want to specialise. And then end yeah. up later in their career coming to their area of specialism. Whereas for me, it was a little bit of the other way around. Um, so I first started um, knowing that I wanted to work with young people and then came to, to being a therapist uh, later on in life. I think for me, it sort of started with my own experiences when I was younger. So I'd had quite a challenging childhood and sort of particularly in my teenage years and my, my 20s, I, I experienced mm. a bit of a rough time. And I think through that, that kind of led me into wanting to really sort of help other young people. I wanted to be the adult for other young people that, that I wish I'd have had in my life at that time. Because there's not um, much around, is there, for young people? And, and it's, it makes such a difference if you work with people at that age, can't it, for the rest of their lives? Yeah. And I think for me, I was lucky that I did have a handful of people that were around for me, like school teachers or like my grandparents, those people that really stood out and helped me. And I think it made such a big difference. So I, I kind of wanted to be that person yeah. for other young people. But weirdly, like I, I sort of started out thinking that, you know, maybe I would do that through things like social policy and I wanted to kind of go down the academic route. So my, my original undergrad was actually in sociology and, and social anthropology, right. which is like massively removed from what I do now. But then when I graduated, I started volunteering for a young person's charity. It's actually a, a sexual health charity. So I'd go into schools and, and deliver workshops and things like that. And I just found a love in here. Like yeah. working with young people just was so exciting. It was always fun, uh, challenging, but I just absolutely loved it. Fantastic. And I suppose the work you do now is kind of working with people's distress every day and working with the minds of young people and adolescents. How do you manage that for yourself in your own mind? In terms of working with the distress of others, I think I'm only human. So, you know, sometimes working with the distress of others can be really difficult. And I don't think that ever goes away. As a therapist, we learn to kind of recognize when we're when we're triggered slightly you know we do a lot of training in um self-reflective practice and, and being able to spot when we're maybe getting that feeling that distress ourselves um but i think it's it's about developing ways of being able to manage that i mean supervision is a massive one 
and being able to talk through cases, talk through things that you find them particularly difficult, notice when things are maybe getting a bit a bit tricky for yourself and, and being able to take a step back. But I think also it's about practicing what you preach. I do a lot of my own self-care stuff. You know, I do a lot of journaling, which I know you're a big fan of too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do things like breath work, being able to kind of recognize when my body's feeling a little bit anxious. That's nice because I think our clients can tell as well when we do when we incorporate what we we do what we talk about or practice what we preach. And then that that really comes through. And I think in the in the UK or maybe globally, mental health services are are struggling. Mm -hmm. And I've been really curious to ask you because you are working a bit on the inside. It might be useful to actually kind of say what areas you work in. You've just come to Wilmslow and doing a bit more private practice. So it's lovely having you here now. But can you give me an overview of and our listeners an overview of the situation of services, what's going on and what the struggle is and yeah so um like you were saying so at the moment I am working um part-time privately which I absolutely love but I do also work um for a children's charity based in in the centre of Manchester so I've got a little bit of an insight into sort of both sides Mm. but I think I mean the pitch with mental health services at the moment is really really tricky you look at newspapers you go online and it is sort of there is a crisis in mental health services and I think it's kind of a build-up of a lot of different things. I think, you know, funding for services has been sort of quite low for a long time before COVID. But then what we had is the situation with COVID hitting and young people, and I'm talking about, you know, teenagers, younger than teenagers, all the way through to people in their 20s, they've had the foundations shaken. Yeah, it's been particularly tough, hasn't it? When you're yeah. meant to get your most sociable, you're in your bedroom. They're missing out on yeah. having friends, being able to kind of talk to other people, have ways of, you know, experiencing joy and excitement and achievement. Mm. Um, and I think particularly with the transitions, you know, from going from school to college or college to uni, all of those times where we really learn from our peers have been disrupted. Um, so young people have experienced that mm. whilst in a global pandemic of, of all of the uncertainty of illness. And, you know, worrying about loved ones and, you know, the financial strain for some people as well with, you know, not worrying about, you know, people losing jobs. And yeah. the, the wider society has meant that, you know, for, for young people and adolescents, it's it's a challenging context to be yeah. in anyway. So they're a little bit more emotionally vulnerable. But then you've also got, you know, the situation in services. So services are underfunded. And there's also a bit of a crisis at the moment with training and retaining staff. So uh, there's a lot of vacancies within services that haven't been filled. And what that means is there's bigger waiting lists and therapists have got bigger caseloads that they have to manage. And they're not really able to kind of work in a way that we know is the most beneficial for, for young people. You know, those long waiting times, being able to have regular appointments. Um, all of this has been compromised. And one of the other knock-on effects of all of this is the thresholds of services. So I know a lot of parents get frustrated with, with CAMS, for example, when they've maybe gone to a CAMS and have been assessed and told actually you don't meet the criteria. You have to be very unwell to yes. actually get into services. Would you say you have to be at crisis point? 
I think it's different for different localities. There's postcode um, lottery kind of. It yeah. is definitely a bit of a postcode lottery, but particularly in Manchester, I would say, yeah. Um, you know, I've I've been working in the field for quite a while and, and I would say that the thresholds have shifted, particularly mm. within the last sort of four or five years, where, you know, young people do have to be quite risky um, yeah. to be accepted in certain services. And, you know, we've got to ask ourselves, what kind of message is that sending to, to young people and, and to parents and those trying to, to care for other young people? So it's a really challenging... Um, yeah. What kind of things are you seeing what kind of presentations are you seeing what are people struggling with there's a there's a massive range uh, a massive range of things i think a lot of what i see um i've seen it's probably quite a lot a knock-on effect from on covid um mm-hmm. so a lot of young people that are struggling with feeling quite lonely and isolated but also they don't quite know necessarily how to connect to other people so we've got uh, experiencing high mood depression but then also feeling really anxious, feeling socially anxious, and maybe also experiencing things like panic when they're in crowded situations, when they're in, you know, schools, lecture theatres, parties. They're, they're really unsure of themselves. But I'm also experiencing things like seeing a definite increase in, like, excessive worry, a lot of people overthinking. And is that about future things, what their future's going to look like, or...? Yeah, I, th- I think it's th- it's that sort of living with the constant uncertainty of COVID and the way that that's impacted on our sensitivity to uncertainty. But it's also those worries about, you know, look at cost of living crisis and what's happening yes. in the housing market. You know, if you've got somebody who's 22, 23, thinking about career. It's all really uncertain. Yeah, so there's a lot of that. But then there's other things, you know, I, I work with such a broad range of, of issues I've seen a lot more um, young people dealing with OCD, so intrusive oh, thoughts right, and, okay. and compulsions, which is sometimes around contamination, which is quite yeah. clear, you know, linked to COVID. But it, at other times, it's about, you know, bad things happening. And I think we've been sat in this world of bad things happening. Then also I work with a lot of PTSD and trauma, seeing a lot more of the complex uh, grief as a result of COVID as well. Hugely broad. Do you feel that the stigma, it feels like the stigma for mental health and coming to therapy is reducing, would you say young people and adolescents a little bit more open to therapy? And do you see that in your Um, young people? That's a really interesting one because I think it's a a very mixed picture. So in some ways, absolutely, yes. There's there's a reduced stigma. Young people are are really um, more self-aware and have got a, a better understanding of, of mental health. You know, you look at things like TikTok, Instagram, social media in general, YouTube. You've got access to so much more information now, haven't we? Which is good and bad, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's exactly what I'd say is that in some ways it's amazing young people are almost they've done a little bit of the work before they come to the therapy room. They know what their difficulties are, they know what they're asking for and what they need, which means young people are really engaged and they get a lot out of the therapy. Sometimes it can go the other way where young yeah. people will will read a lot of information and they'll give themselves kind of a almost like a self-diagnosis. Mm. Um, and we might have to spend a lot of time kind of normalizing some of the things they're experiencing and, and really thinking about what does those labels mean to you and, and kind of working out do they need something like a diagnosis or is it more taking care of their basic well-being needs. But I think it's also really important to identify the, the, 
flip side to this in that there are still groups of um, of people that find it hard to access therapy. And that can be for you know lots of reasons, but particularly um, Black and Asian minority ethnic young people, they can, or young men particularly, there can still be a little bit of a, a, a stigma and a fear around talking about feelings and about sharing your business with other people. But also I think sometimes it's on us as professionals to be able to recognise what what are the specific needs of these groups of young people and do we need to make adjustments in and make yeah things more accessible yeah. and help people see themselves in our services and, yeah yeah and I recognize that for some young people they will say no I'm fine no I'm fine no I'm fine <laughs> and it'll take yeah. a while and we've got to keep asking and keep inviting that openness to, to talk and reassure that you know we're, we're safe people this, this is safe place safe places and um, so yeah it's still a way to go in some communities many of the, the people listening will be kind of carers or parents and stuff if we were, had a young person say a child or somebody we knew that was struggling at what point do you do we need to go to the gp um can you give a bit of an overview of what services are out there because i think one of the things i hear a lot from parents mm-hmm. is that it's so confusing you just don't know where to start if you can get a gp appointment as well yeah. yeah and i absolutely agree i think mm. acknowledging that figuring out what are the services that are there and how do i actually get in the front door can be yeah. a really challenging thing and to wrap your head around so when to go to a GP and what's available, I think I'm going to split that up slightly. So when to go to a GP, I would say, firstly, if there's anything that you're concerned in terms of risk, absolutely always go to the GP, even if you're struggling to get an appointment. So by this, I mean, if you're concerned that somebody is at risk of harming themselves mm-hmm. or you know harm to others, I think it can be quite a... Um, like a tricky topic to talk about self-harm and suicidal thoughts but it is really common you know a lot of young people you know teens to 20s will experience mm. those thoughts at some point and it's always worth checking out and sometimes before we have any kind of psychological treatment it's good to get a good um physical check isn't it oh, yeah yeah wait have your bloods done just make sure rule out everything else so it's a it's always the good first step isn't it? oh yeah absolutely and i think this physical health diet exercise nutrition mm-hmm. like medical conditions can have a huge impact yeah. on our mental health and it's one of the things the first things i talk to young women about actually um or people that menstruate is that actually periods can have a huge impact on our mental health and sometimes even just addressing that and mm. regulating our cycles can have a huge impact on yeah. mood and uh, and how, how well we cope but yeah so in terms of going to a GP always if you feel as though there's a physical health need mm. always if you feel like there's some risk but also if there's anything that might be you know hang on is there something here that might need a further investigation assessment for diagnosis you know concerns about things like neurodivergence um, autism or ADHD, for example, definitely worth going to your GP. And even if it's not a right now thing, this is something that's going to be addressed immediately. If we've got it on record, it means if there's referrals that ever need to be made in the future, that it's documented. It keeps the consistency of your yeah. medical records. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of going to the GP, there's definitely some guidelines of when we should be going to the GP. Um, in terms of where to get support, so 
if you're wanting to get a statutory service, so that is um, adult mental health um, services through the NHS or the child and adolescent mental health services, again, through the NHS, there is a bit of a process of a front door. So the first step is usually to contact your GP and, and they'll talk you through the process of referral and whether they think actually it's a suitable referral. I'd always check that out first, even if we know the waiting list are really long. Yeah, sometimes it's worth getting on the waiting list really early, isn't it? Even if you're not that sure, just because they're so long. No, no, around here, um, I think it's different everywhere. For adults, they can phone up and do a self-referral to talk to therapies. Can you you do that for children and adolescents, self-refer? In some places, um, you can do a self-referral for children and adolescents. So I think in the, the sort of Cheshire area, you can, like you can call as a parent, but they quite often, and I know in Manchester, it has to come through a GP or, or a, a suitable professional. So it is, it's always... So if you Google the children and adolescent mental health services in your area, that yeah. should come up with the referral. Okay. But, the, but there are alternatives. Mm-hmm. Um, so within a lot of areas... Uh, schools, colleges and universities do have their own mental health um, and wellbeing services. You tend to be quite limited with what you get. You you might not get a huge, long piece of work, but they often have drop-ins or short-term interventions, things like that. And the same with sort of voluntary and charitable sectors. Mind, for example, in Manchester or 42nd Street, which is where I work um, for, for the rest of my time, Even though it's a charitable sector, the work that happens in these places is still fantastic. The waiting lists can vary. Some services, particularly at certain points of the year when they take on um, new staff that are training, the waiting lists can be a little bit shorter. For example, I've known at times Manchester Mind waiting lists to be as as short as three months, but then it can really vary. You know, it can be up to a year in some places. But there there are options. So you can go to GP, but you can also Google counselling and therapy services in my area. And there are some directories, some that are quite good and just come up in Google. So there are other options, definitely. Yeah, I always forget mine as well. And yeah, you know, I never think to I kind of point people to mine, but there's one in every area, isn't there? Yeah, and they're usually like fantastic with that they have, mine tend to have one-to-one therapy, but so a lot of the times they have things like one-to-one mentoring, which might not be a mental health professional, but it's somebody that's maybe a bit closer in age that can be a mentor for, you know, supporting somebody to push themselves and access, um, you know, groups or activities, things like that. And I was going to ask about kind of how people manage on waiting lists, but it sounds like you've, you know, these, you could go to these other services if you're on a long waiting list. Is there anything else people can do when they're, on a long waiting list so there are some online based services which are a bit more like not necessarily like a zoom or a team session that are online chats um so it would be like typing you know like instant messenger types of services they tend to have shorter waiting times so it is something that's Mm. nationwide and it is i believe 11 to 24 or 25 their waiting lists are have a lot shorter but Second Street have a similar service where it's an online service. Again, the, the waiting times are a lot shorter for that. But in some circumstances, it's an either or. So you're either on the big one, one waiting list or you're on the online right. waiting list. But there are, you know, things that people can do with themselves, you know, in terms of their own self-help um, while they're waiting on, for support. 
one of the things that I often recommend is honestly there are so many apps and books, online sort resources. There's so much that you've got access to now. So some of the apps that I use, I mean, firstly, this is a bit of a tip. If young people are struggling with social media, I always, always recommend app blockers. Mm-hmm. I always say to people, you know, if you're finding that you're spending hours on TikTok and it's making you feel a bit low or a bit anxious, who are you as this one person fighting against this billion dollar industry of AI bots <laughs> that are literally designed to keep you there? Yeah, I need to do that with TikTok. And I try and get an, a pattern interrupter or something to, because God, an hour is like the crack cocaine of the social media world. Oh, it really uh, is. Mm. And, and your, your minds are particularly susceptible yes. to it. Yeah. Like that dopamine hit. And it's where a lot of young people hang out. So, mm. of course, they're going to end up getting kind of quite addicted to it. It's, so, yeah, one of my number one things is or nearly every person I work with, I recommend app blockers. Now, it doesn't have to be you block it forever and you don't use it. You can block it at certain times. You can block for certain times, you know, certain times of the day, like periods of time. So you might give yourself, you know what, I'm going to have half an hour in the morning or yeah. I'm going to have half an hour at night or I can only stay on for 20 minutes at a time. There are some fantastic apps for if, People are struggling with things like suicidal thoughts or self-harm. Calm harm is amazing and stay alive. And these are ones that as a, as a parent or somebody that's caring for uh, children and young people, I would say download them yourself and have a look. Mm. And you can then have conversations about the app and, and how to be able to use it. There's and, loads of nice little apps now, yeah. aren't there? Ones where you can record your mood and yeah. how you're feeling. Finch. Finch. Okay. Have I've you not heard that one? It's a lovely, like, cartoony app, and it's just asked me kind of how am I feeling right now? Yeah, and it's a lovely thing to kind of keep up with your mental health every day. So there's some fantastic apps. In terms of books, the oh, have you heard of the Overcoming series? Of yes. Yeah. So, I recommend these all the time. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're maybe not as accessible for the younger age. But good for parents. I know um, my supervisor, Mary Welford, has done the Kindness Workbook. Ah, that yeah. is one of the ones I recommend. I love yeah. that one. It's a so really I'll do a link to that. But the Overcoming series, you can, you've got Overcoming OCD, Overcoming Anxiety, Panic, Social Anxiety. Great yeah. for parents to kind of read. But they can be really good as well for, like, if you're on a, wait, a waiting list. Yes, To be able can, to yeah. dip in and just kind of get a bit of an understanding of okay this is maybe what I'm experiencing these are the things mm. that might help and that way when you come to therapy you've already got like a really good grounding got a good head start yeah yeah yeah, yeah. there's yeah. also a couple of fab, fab websites I'd recommend so there's one called The Mix which is specifically for young people under the age of 25 mm. and that's got mental health information and advice on it but it's also got things about like housing employment um, and it does have a helpline and an email service, so you can sort of speak to somebody. The Mind website is fantastic for mm-hmm. young people and for parents. On the Mind website, each section, so for example, if you're looking at low mood or anxiety, there will be a section that's like, how can I support somebody else? There's Young Minds as well, is yes. that So Young Minds is excellent, and they do have a dedicated helpline for parents to call. Um, which is 
definitely worth um, giving a ring if you're a parent or uh, another adult sort of concerned about somebody else because they can talk you through the sorts of things to ask your GP, the kinds of things that might help on a day-to-day basis, that sort of stuff. So I think they're my top ones. I'll link them all in the show notes um, because it's kind of what to Google, isn't it? And some of the names Mm -hmm. are really funky, but you'd never think to like Google the mix and they come up. So um, I'll put, I'll really kind of do a lot of work of making sure all the links are in the show notes and stuff are shared on on social media. Yeah. And there's also some fab uh, YouTube channels. There's one that I really like. I think it's called Therapy in uh, a Nutshell. Oh, which is right. they're like short little videos explaining things about like the science of what's happening with anxiety and how we can take care of our bodies and things like that so they're quite short but really informative and accessible and um, so yeah I'll make sure I share a few of those with you so I've talked a little bit about you know physical things that you might find like apps books websites but this there are things that you can do to take care of your own well-being on a day-to-day basis if you're struggling and you know you may be waiting for support or even if you're not quite sure if you're ready for therapy and you just know that you're struggling and, and you need something to help you feel a bit better there was this bad piece of uh, research that was done with the new economics foundation um, and it's called the five ways to well-being so they did this piece of research to look at what are those foundational things that can really help in what we find So these are things that we've all probably come across before, but it's a good reminder to say, check in with yourself. How much of these things am I doing? How Mm. can I incorporate a little bit more of this stuff into my life? So those are uh, connection. So making sure that you're reaching out to, you know, people around you, friends. Mm, Keeping connected, yeah. Yeah. And it's also important to sort of physically connect with people not just the odd text message. It can be so tempting to just, I've sent my WhatsApp, that'll do. Be, Actually see people face to face, yeah. And particularly because that's one of the things that we've been lacking so much yeah. during COVID. But connection can also be those small moments in the day, you know, smiling at your neighbour, um, having small talk at a bus stop. You know, these things can brighten the power of our day and make us feel good as well. Um, another one is being active. Um, not everybody loves exercise. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. have to be running. I hate running. Like mm-hmm. you ask me to go for a run, I'll be like, absolutely no way. <laughs> I didn't get time to the bottom of my street. But it's finding a way of moving your body. That's get the really- serotonin going, and yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it can just be like, you know, going for a short five minute walk um, in the middle of your day, or, mm-hmm. or something like you know, taking the stairs instead of the lifts. Just, just ways to get yourself moving another one would be sort of acts of kindness so we as humans are hardwired to feel good when we connect and make other people feel good um and we mentioned that kindness but you know it's it's finding those small ways that we can just mm. connect to someone you know a compliment offering to make someone a cup of tea you know just that has loads of benefits in making us feel good doesn't it it's brilliant yeah and it strengthens those connections yeah. as well. And then the last two, um, one is is learning. Now, this is a tricky one because I think a lot of young people are bombarded, but it's about finding that thing that makes you busy, feel good, lights a fire in your belly, you know, learning things like cooking, 
baking, mm. gardening, painting, like so well. learning but fun learning. Yeah, le- that's not more science. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. yeah, it's that getting a sense of achievement for something that's not got a grade on it, that's not got like a tickle across, like yes, you've done it. No, you haven't. It's that. Oh, actually, look at this cool thing I can do. And then finally, the the fifth one is to take notice. Now we often call this mindfulness. Some people can feel a bit funny about the world word mindfulness. But it's just about slowing down and kind of just taking notice of the things around you. It could be, you know, not being on social media while you eat breakfast, um, not listening to music while you're walking down the street and actually just looking around you. So being more in the moment, more present to get the enjoyment from each moment. Because we often we skip past so quickly and that's we miss opportunities to lift our mood, don't we? Absolutely. And we miss those small things that are quite pleasant, you know. Mm. That's a lovely reminder how thinking about just those five things that sound and what's that called? Five ways to well being. And right. if you Google it, there's like mind has have definitely got a little section on it, but there's loads of resources out there okay. if you just Google it. There's even some nice little posters. Um, you know, I've if you I've worked with young people that love doing journaling or art or whatever, and it's nice to maybe do your own little be a bit practical with it. Yeah. Yeah. Be creative. Yeah. Do a little a, a little journal entry of like how can I do my five ways, um, and and come up with your own version of it kind of ideas. And you you're a CBT therapist. You're trained. Um, you work with adults, but also young people, don't you? Is there much difference in how it's delivered? Um, there can be some differences. Yeah, I mean, I think we all experience similar difficulties yeah. so I think the kinds of problems that I see with younger people are very similar to um to sort of older adults and um, you know like experiencing low mood and anxiety for example it's common regardless of your age yeah but how we actually work can be slightly different I think the the actual delivery with a younger person you have to spend a little bit more time on the psychoeducation side you know teaching them a little bit about how our bodies work what is anxiety yeah because it might be the first time you're kind of coming across this stuff whereas when you're older and a bit more crinkly like me you've been there a few times yeah yes. so it's and I think there's a lot more normalizing uh, with younger okay. people to explain to them that you know what a lot of people experience this and what you're going through is okay this is common yes. so yeah, yeah. In, with younger people there's a lot more of that sort of bit of education and normalizing but I think you also have to be a bit more creative you know sometimes young people find it hard to talk and so we I I sometimes use uh, art-based materials you know and with the younger ones like finger paints and all sorts sandboxes I don't do that as much these days but it's about kind of trying to find ways to connect so that somebody feels comfortable to Mm -hmm. open up but I think other differences as well is it's like the flavor of it the concerns of somebody that's in their teens, yeah, early teens is very different to the concerns of somebody in their 20s and, again, sort of somebody in their 30s and older. So it's just about being really aware of what are the major concerns of a 15-year-old. And then I think one of the things that when we're younger, we think it's we're the only person struggling in the world, don't we? So that's yeah. kind of what you've just shared there is really nice to kind of remind us that we we all go through stuff and we're all a lot more similar than we are different. Oh. What what has working with young people taught you, do you think? Um 
uh, patience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes working with with young people, you've got to be where they're at. Mm. You can't speed them to recovery. You can't speed them to feeling better. Yeah, it's a process, it's isn't it? And it takes it takes time. And sometimes I think you can, you know, we've all been teenagers and twenty in our twenties. We can we can see what they're experiencing. We can see what they're going mm. through. And you really want to just sort of say, "Oh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. It will be okay." But you have to let them get there themselves. And I think I've learned that you've got to give people permission to make bad decisions, to be able to make unwise choices, and be able to learn from it themselves. Because, you know, how many young people, if they get told, don't do this, don't do that, they just don't believe you, you know. Yeah. Uh, they've got to feel it for themselves. Um, I was going to ask you what, if you could give some parents or carers some advice, what would you give them? And I guess that's one of them, isn't it? Kind of let people make mistakes. What other yeah. kind of bits of advice would you? Oh, gosh, there's so much. There is so much that I could I could give. I think one thing I would say is to not be scared to talk about feelings. What I find a lot is that if a parent's parents yeah. <laughs> to talk about feelings, it sort of trickles down. It can feel uncomfortable. It can Absolutely. feel a bit like alien to talk about. And, and it's about having that courage to open those up, conversations up and to let that person know that, you know what, I'm here. I'm here for it. I'm here for those mm-hmm. awkward conversations. And you might not be ready now, but I'm still going to be here when you are. And where possible, try not to be too panicked a lot of time younger people will really worry about reactions to others they worry they don't want to upset people they don't want to worry people so trying to you know be open to have those difficult conversations but maintain a composure mm. even if deep down you're going ah <laughs> i don't know what to do just listen which i think would probably be my top tip number two would just be to kind of listen and not fix. Um, yes, not fix. Gosh, I say that a lot every every day to people. Yeah. 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 Because I think useful. we often want to go into fixer mode. Oh, yeah. you should do this. Have you tried that? What do, you know, why do you think this is happening? But sometimes, you know, with, with young people, if their emotions are all over the place, what they need is to to just be able to be heard and understood. Um, and it's not about jumping straight to solutions. It's yeah. really giving that space to kind of. It's really good advice. Sounds yeah. simple and straightforward, but it's so important, isn't it? And yeah. because if you're caring for somebody, you just want to fix it. It's actually really hard to do. And I think it's it's trusting as well that a lot of the time, young people have got the answers themselves. Yeah. yeah. They know what to do. They're resourceful, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they'll be like creative and innovative in ways that you've never even thought of. They'll come up with something. You'll be like, wow, that's really cool. Um, But you've got to give them the space to get there. So just think about like how you, you know, when when you're having those sorts of conversations, how you phrase the questions. So, you know, it might be asking things like, you know, tell me a little bit more about that. What do you think went wrong? Mm -hmm. And what what have you tried before that works? Or have you had any thoughts about what you need now? Mm. sort of really open questions and if they're struggling then yeah you might want to give them a little bit but really allow them to to reflect and and come up with the answers themselves if you can if somebody was considering having therapy is there anything you'd recommend yeah I think when you're considering therapy one of the 
the first things I would say is start journaling. If you're not doing it already, start journaling. Because what this does is it helps you to really get clarity on what is it that I'm struggling with right now? What are the things that I really need to be different? And kind of how do I want to wear? It helps you get awareness of mind, understand what you're going through. And it's really useful information, isn't it? Especially early days of the first few sessions of therapy. Yeah, because I think a lot of times people will come to therapy and in that first session, they're like, oh, I don't know what to say. I, I don't know why I'm here. And it can feel really sort of destabilised and they don't really know what to do next. And and if you've got that general practice, that'll just really help you to, to kind of get the most out of your therapy. I think the other thing I would say is to just do, do a bit of research. Um, what's How do you want to work? You know, do you want a space to just really be able to reflect on your feelings? You know, just more of an open... So would that be more counselling yeah. looking at that? Yeah. So if you're looking for that counselling, a lot of people don't really know the difference between sort of say counselling, psychotherapy, CBT. So really have a think about what do you want? Do you want to talk about your feelings, your relationships, the past? Because that might be a bit of a different therapy. Or do you want to talk about the here and now problems, understanding those tricky patterns that you find it hard to get out of? Where do you feel a bit stuck? You know, and then so- cognitive behavioural therapy would be the right approach, more practical, solution-focused. Yeah, so have a bit of a think about what is it I'm struggling with? How do I want to work? And then it's that bit of research about who's the right fit because the, the relationship in therapy is so important. In fact, they know, don't they, more than the therapeutic model, it's the relationship you have with the therapist that predicts the outcome of therapy. Yeah. Yeah. And I know it's a bit more tricky if you're going through a free service, you don't have that choice. But if you are looking at private therapy, take a bit of time, you know, call a few people, do a little bit of lurking on social media, look at kind of get a bit of feel for a person. And then, then you can kind of match yourself up with somebody that really feels right. And also, if it's not working out with one therapist, don't, don't think that that means that therapy won't work for you. It might be about finding the right time or the right type yeah. of therapy or the right person. So, yeah, they're, they're the main things. That's really useful. And one question that I really enjoy to ask, and I ask everybody that comes on the podcast, if you could go back to your 15-year-old self, what would you say to her? I I think the first thing I would say to little Kirsty is to, to just value yourself regardless, that it doesn't matter like what your grades are it doesn't matter if you're good at certain things it doesn't matter what your appearance is like like you are a valuable person regardless and that nobody gets the right to treat you badly I'd want to say to them anyone that makes you feel bad about yourself step away because other people will come to your life that will make you feel good and will help you to see that value in yourself that's 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 nice And thank you for it. There's been so many practical ideas and practical advice and tips and stuff. And and there's going to be loads of links to the in the show notes and stuff that we that people can kind of dive in and hopefully kind of find the direction and the things that they need to find and the information they need to find. But if somebody wanted to contact you, I'm sure you're open for questions and stuff. Or if people needed any more information or wanted to work with you, where where do you hang out on social media? 
So um, I've got my website, which is feelgoodcbtmanchester.co.uk. It's a bit of a mouthful. So that's the best place to kind of find me and be able to sort of send me a direct message. On social media, I'm just in the process of relaunching all of my social media. So I will be on Instagram as feelgoodcbtmanchester and also on Facebook. Perfect. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Lots to go away and think about. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. It's really appreciated. Thank you for listening to Ask a For more information about the CBT Journal, visit my website at saradreese.co.uk. You can also sign up to download your free guide to building emotional resilience, delivered straight to your inbox. You will then also receive regular newsletters where I share my blog posts, podcasts, and tips and strategies for better mental health and psychological resilience. Don't forget to review and subscribe to the podcast, and you can also share episodes on social media using the hashtag AskTheTherapist. This episode was written and presented by me, Sarah Rees, and edited by Big Tent Media and produced by Emily Crosby Media.